This is the one with empirical poppycock. Diagonal thinking. A Time Lord class reunion. Literally thousands of chronostats in it. And a countdown so clever and circuitous that it may sway even the likes of Drew back when. It's called the Armageddon Factor. Here, Here we, we go. go. We did it. <laughs> We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Dalen, Ood, and the Cybertronic race. Sontarans look like taters and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS. We're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal road. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? What ho, dearest podcast land, and welcome to yet another fantabulous episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Duck Pass. Correctamundo, old buddy, old pal. We are coming to you yet again across the ether. We're recording over Skype, and consequently, I have the pleasure of viewing on my screen, but not the pleasure of viewing in person, the wonderful, the amazing, the talented, the one and only Jim. Hello, Jim. Well, hello. He says, waving his arms dramatically. <laughs> At me, I'm Leon. <laughs> and today we are going to be talking to you about C-103, the Armageddon Factor, the final chapter in the Key to Time saga. That's right. <gasps> oh my goodness. One Horcrux to go. So very nearly complete. And uh, I predict in about an hour and a half to four hours we will have completed it (laughs) (laughs) yes yes we will get there in the end before we jump into b-scow and all kinds of star wars i mean armageddon factor shenanigans high level how do you feel about this yay or nay definite yay yay oh here's my friend who agrees with me Yeah, like top level, what I got through all of this was a sense of drama that I had been missing through maybe most of this key to time. I don't know. Oh, fantastic. Okay, well, not fantastic that you were missing it, but I'm glad that it, you know, it culminated in something so good in that case. Don't get me wrong, there's tons to pick apart, there's tons to make fun of and to just sort of prod a little bit, but yeah, I I loved this. <laughs> In case there's anyone out there in podcast land who has no idea what we're talking about, who isn't familiar with the Armageddon Factor, how about we give them sort of a a description of what it's about, sort of in a bite size, like maybe a bite size chunk of who? That's a brilliant idea. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Time for us to synopsize, lebify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview, this free for all. We like to call a a bite size chunk of who. The twin planets of Atreus and Zeus have eluded Doc's travel plans up until now, but that's all about to change as Atreus is the location of the sixth and final piece of the key to time. The tricky situation surrounding this piece is that the planets are on the brink of annihilating each other. With the warmongering Marshall on one side, a nihilistic computer on the other, and a small army of shadowy figures stalking a mystical third planet locating the sixth piece, might be complicated. Fortunately, Romana is staying focused this time, and they pinpoint its location as somewhere in the royal house of Atreus. Did we forget to mention that? Oh yes, there's a royal house 
or a space princess at least, appropriately named Astra. And she and her not Time Lord but still a Doctor boyfriend might be agents of the opposition. Will even their high morals be able to withstand the power of the dark side? Or will <laughs> they be Jedi mind tricked into doing its evil biddings? Be, be scow over. over. You, you are, are welcome. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you just Holy moly, where would you like to start? I, I don't even know. Okay, well, in I mean, that case, I'm going to say that when I was a kid, I watched the stage production of The Wind in the Willows, and Mr. Toad looked a lot like The Shadow. Oh, wow. What? <laughs> I had a what? complicated okay. childhood, okay? <laughs> yeah. And a series of therapy sessions after that viewing, presumably. <laughs> nope, and that explains a lot. So... <laughs> I was going to say, that's interesting, because all I got from The Shadow was... Um, Skeletor? Not knockoff, but, but yeah, a little bit Skeletor, which we had previously got that vibe, of course, from The Master. Yes, that's right. In The Deadly Assassin. So, yeah, I, I couldn't help but think it was a little bit of a regurgitation of how they had refocused The Master as being Skeletor-like. Yeah. The thing I had with The Shadow is I was always wondering if he was pretending to be the Shadow, but really he was the Black Guardian. I 100% like, thought that. I mean, sorry, I didn't think that he was pretending to be the Shadow. I thought the Shadow was just another alias. Like, that was the Black Guardian. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think that crossed my mind as well. But yeah, it was, it, was, it was a definite question mark over, is this the henchman that he claims to be, or is he something more, you know? Yeah. But I think that's definitely one thing this serial has in its favor, is villains. Oh, so many villains. The Shadow is obviously the main one, but comes in a bit later. Like, and all his henchmen. With... But we also have the Marshal. Exactly, the Marshal. And then oh, there's... <laughs> the Marshal's incredible. The Marshal yeah. is absolutely fantastic. I mean, okay, wait, hang on. There are more villains. There's also a supercomputer that's plotting to destroy Atrios. There's a there's a massive war between these two factions. There's the... No one's talking about where the people of Zeos... Zeos? Zeos. Where that Zeos. people is. Zeos? Whatever. Uh, but <laughs> but there is a potentially murderous supercomputer there that is then very easily swayed to no longer be so. And there's the Black Guardian. There's so much going on in this. Yeah. I don't even know where to begin picking this apart. Okay, this is a six-episode arc. Hitherto, the series finale is always the six-episode arc. We have four episodes otherwise, six episodes to finish off with. Did you feel that it needed six episodes? I think, for once, it probably did, actually. Yeah? Yeah, I, I think I started getting a bit worried when, I think, bizarrely, episodes two and three started with a lot of recap. Yeah. Like re replaying the previous episode. Yeah, ending. true. And, and we get like, a lot of bleepy oh, bloopies as well. We do get a lot of bleepy bloopies. Yeah, there are, there are a few little cues left, right, and center that, all they're stretching this out a bit. Yeah. Um. So I guess with, with that in mind, maybe maybe there's an extra episode there because these are only 24 minutes long. Like, it's not that hard to pad 24 minutes worth of stuff over six episodes. So maybe they only really had five episodes worth of material. Yeah, maybe. Cutting I mean, down four what I'm episodes thinking. would have been small. Yeah. But I think that's only because of the bleepy bloopies. The massive scene of, or the scenes of K9 interfacing with the supercomputer on Zeos, that's like five minutes of just, you know, K9 bleeping and going around in circles, and it's fairly nonsensical. But there is, for the rest of the episodes, there's so much more packed into them. Like, there are, there are serials that have only four, four episodes, and we go, this could have easily been a two-parter. Why did you stretch it into four episodes? And here it's like, there are five and a half episodes that have ten episodes worth of plot, but then 
there's that one half episode that has almost nothing. Yeah, I mean, that canine scene in particular was so bad. I, I rewound. and Why? I because you're a sucker for punishment? <laughs> oh, you timed it. Yeah, How long yeah, is it? it? There is 21 seconds of just <laughs> those computer sounds of canine interfacing with the... Well, at that point, it's a door. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, and then it goes on when he gets through yeah. the door. Yeah, and then, and I mean, my yeah, five minutes are probably around. hyperbolic, but it, it's it's like a solid minute overall. Yeah, no, it's excruciating. <laughs> I'll throw a point at you, and then please have at it. This serial starts with a scene from a soap opera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My first note is worst acting ever. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I didn't even get a chance to write the note of. I, I think it's probably a soap opera thingy, but it's like, oh, thank God, it is a soap opera slash film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, first note for me as well. It was a soap opera, haha. <laughs> <laughs> but I assume it's some sort of propaganda video that's being played in the hospitals of this sort of Blitz-esque scene that we guess of uh, of atrios yeah you know it's never really explained is it <laughs> it's not explained at all who who are these actors there's a nuclear war going on i mean just the worst possible nuclear war they're like hundreds of meters below ground and they still feel the earth shake yet somewhere yeah. in this horrific war-torn landscape there's a tv studio and there are two <laughs> actors <laughs> doing like a multi-cam soap opera <laughs> Yeah, it's like, sorry, we have to retake that shot. Uh, no, sorry, it was it was far too wobbly from the last bomb. <laughs> what that actually made me think of is the episode of Red Dwarf where we meet the original Crichton, and he's just sat there watching the soap opera called Androids, which is basically Neighbours. Like the theme tune is to the tune of Neighbours. <laughs> okay. Um, but it's the exact same thing. It's like you, the first thing you see is a weird like soap opera portrayal and then it pans out it was just almost shot for shot i was like ah, <laughs> i wonder if red dwarf actually nicked it from this <laughs> might be <laughs> speaking of nicking from something should we just address the space elephant in the room so you alluded to this off air. I don't think I actually got massive Star Wars e-vibes from this. Really? So, so what have you got? Yeah. Okay, what so have you got? here's everything that I marked as Star Wars in my notes. Princess kneeling down to look through the hole. Help me, whoever you are. I mean, you might as well add your, or our only hope. Um, oh, I missed that. Yeah. You have Star Wars, sorry, you have K9 on the conveyor belt about to be recycled, although I guess that's from Empire, which hasn't happened yet at this point. You have a black caped chap telling someone that he's in his power, using mind control, a Jedi mind tricks, yada, yada, yada. You have that same black lad dude torturing a space princess for information. The shot of, is it, it's the marshal and his pilots in the cockpit looking out at the stars looked very much like Han Solo and Chewie in the, in the Millennium Falcon. Probably why I like it so much. <laughs> That's an awesome shot. Uh, the music in part six, the music underlying the scene of the shadow carrying in the key to time is the Emperor's theme almost to a T. It's the, I don't know, it's like the Gregorian, full Gregorian chant. Um, you have the line, no one can resist the power of darkness. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's quite a lot so of Star Wars in this, I feel. You've laid out a fairly good case. <laughs> Although... <laughs> Interestingly, it's all, it does seem like they could have been influencing each other. Yeah, yeah also possible. So I, was, I was thinking that, is this more just a, like, as much as I love Star Wars, just a, a stake in the, it's not as original as, as it thinks it is, column, you know. <laughs> that might be the case. That's true. It's like, these, these things aren't, aren't unique. Like, 
space princesses i'm I mean, sure are cropped up in lots of other things june june for one thing is um that's true always always heralded as like the precursor to a lot of star wars ideas yeah that's true but in in dune you have whole houses there is the the princess i can't remember what her name is now in in june but yeah i mean you have you have all these houses royal houses in um in this though this uh, a, a royal house of one there is a princess but I mean, she wields no power. There's no king or queen. There's nothing in any way denoting the need for a princess in this. But they have ham-fisted a space princess into this story. But is that because everyone's been killed? I forget how they introduce her. But by the end of it, you know, we're told she is... How is it phrased? The sixth princess of the sixth dynasty of the sixth royal house of Atreus. Yes, that's right. So she, she had five siblings. Oh, I see. So everyone else is dead. I think that's okay. The the implication, like, like obviously she's the last of her line. Yeah, true. But the fact that the fact that she has five siblings, I think, is quite a key thing to say. Like, just her entire family has been killed. That's true. Okay, I hadn't thought about that actually. Whilst it's not made to be a massive point, you know, I suppose. I guess it's you know, it's making it more. It's it's trying to make it bigger through a, a little bit of the the script writing, but we don't get to see the grandness of it. That there's a whole brawling power because it's basically co- collapsed, and the marshal was ruling the show really. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And he is in turn being controlled by the the Black Guardian or by the Shadow yes. at least. Yeah, the Shadow. That's a, that's a thing actually. So the, the black mirror there, yeah. the the dark mirror, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> which is a lovely effect. I, I had a question actually as to um, whether you enjoyed the the close up shots where you're basically watching them through the reflection on the mirror. Oh, it's beautiful. I, I loved it. Yeah, it's so nicely done. And you know that there's then, something on the other side of it throughout the whole serial. I mean, up until the point where you actually get to see the other side of it. It's beautiful the way he always he goes up to the uh, to that mirror. He just look he stares at his reflection, and we're told by Sharp, I think, that yeah, he does that a lot. He goes there and meditates. It's yeah. pretty fantastic. But then I don't really get like on the other side of it is just this crystal skull, and what does that do? Yeah, that that scene I think was a bit of a letdown when um, so it's Romana and. Merrick, is it the the go behind behind the curtain? Yeah, as it were, and yeah, you feel like there should be something from them being there, like they they can sense presence, like the telepathy being used. I don't know something. I mean, do they about... even address the fact that there's a skull in there? I'm not sure if they do actually. Yeah, it's kind of like more focused on the fact that they can see the marshal talking yeah. to the mirror. <laughs> it's it's like, almost like oh, the no, skull he... might be a camera. I never quite worked out where it was as well, like how they, I, I think I blinked when they got in through the side door and it was like, how did this get constructed? How is this <laughs> in the room? Like, was it, was it a toilet and they just like blocked it off and it's like, oh, just put this <laughs> pane of glass in front of it. There we go. <laughs> Sharp now has to go upstairs and around the corner every time he wants to wee. It's like, oh, I, yeah. I, I swear there used to be a bathroom in here, guys. No bathroom here. <laughs> <laughs> Upstairs you go. I love that set, by the way. The command center, the command deck. Yes. You know what, actually? That is something that gave me Star Wars vibes. Oh, yeah? There's one particular shot where they properly like pan around the room and you get to see all the workers at their you know consoles. Yeah. And it, it felt alive. It felt way more than most Doctor Who serials. You know, we've got some extras in who are performing what looks like a real role. 
they've all got a decent set and props in front of them yeah and you know it, it felt big it felt commanding um and it yeah it, it felt like the the bridge of like a star destroyer or something from star wars yeah i agree i mean they injected a lot of money into this the, the production value is fantastic as you say there's a bigger cast that set is beautifully constructed there are lots of cave sets the miniatures holy moly are those miniatures beautiful yeah and also just like practical effects of when the bombs hit and and we get to see debris falling from the ceiling and it's really nicely done. No, definitely. And like even the costumes as well, like the, the Marshall's outfit in particular I thought was awesome. Oh, I agree. It's weird because you kind of want to side with the Atreons only because the princess is there. But then because you side with the princess, you're against the Atreons. And also because, what's his face, the, the marshal is clearly not, he's not fully there. He's lost his marbles and is power hungry and just, and bloodthirsty. But then with all this imagery, like the, the eagle in particular, the military aspects in general, but the eagle in particular, I get slight Nazi vibes there as well. No, definitely. And... I think that's the probably the source for all of those things. Um, this and Star Wars. Where we're suit Gundam and and Star Wars and yeah, yeah, they're all peeking at the same cheat sheet in a way. Um, yeah. But no, it's interesting how close that that is actually. Like the the because the color scheme is not not at all no Nazi other than black. I, we get a line from the soldier who leads the princess to that high radiation room. His line is, I'm only following orders, which is the Nuremberg defense. You know, so you're right. I, it, maybe any sci-fi of the time is being inspired by the exact same relatively recent, like even more recent then than it is now, horrific historical occurrence. And yeah. But actually in a weird vein, literally the note after me saying how awesome the uh, Marshall's uniform is, is a question as to whether he was channeling Churchill. Like, oh, really? <laughs> his There are a couple of speeches he does, like he could... Because he is, he has made himself the figurehead of of Atreus, hasn't he? Like, even yeah. though the impression is that, yeah, there's a royal house, so there is some kind of like imperial ruler, I suppose. No, the opposite of that. I don't know. Anyway, a royal ruler. Yeah. Um, but he's he's stepped in and has forced his way into a situation, and so he's the one that's talking to the people. He's doing like these video propaganda broadcasts isn't he? Yeah. And through them, I don't know. There, there were just certain aspects of his speech that sounded quite kind of like Churchill. I didn't know if that was intentional or not. I bet you it was. I like that as an observation, the fact that, well, I mean, his role in it, that brings another element to that character. That's very interesting. And I think this is why I I kind of got on board with the serial so quickly, is it just starts so well. Like this, this first episode is so much more interesting than a lot of other stories. Like it's maybe it's a bit of a cheap trick to just start in the middle of a war and you, you know, you're, (laughs) You're immediately, you know, you're ramping up the excitement level straight away. But it's it's an easier way to 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 give flesh to your characters whilst respecting the intelligence of the audience as well, because you don't have to labor in some dialogue to understand who these people are. They're they're caught in the middle of action, performing roles, and you you get to know them through that very quickly. And it just I think it just kind of keeps the pace going and it keeps you keeps you engaged and ups the drama level. Yeah, that's true. And also, people know, and a lot of people remember, The Blitz. 
And when you show scenes like that, you don't have to then also spend time displaying the people and what they get up to and so on just to create a, an element of sympathy because people will sympathize. They know what the Atreons are going through. Yeah, that's very true as well. Okay, so we have the Atreons on one side, the princess and the doctor, not the Time Lord doctor, her GP, general practitioner, boyfriend-ish. You mentioned his name before. Merrick. Merrick. I've got him down as Timothy in my notes. (laughs) (laughs) He does look a bit like a Timothy. I think you're right. (laughs) I think I just decided, fuck it. I don't know what his name is, but yeah, I'll just go with Timothy. I know who I mean. Um, So... so they, it's alluded in the beginning that they may be rooting for the opposition, that they are not on board with this war, and that maybe they know more about what's going on on the other side than the marshal, but that's never followed through. That's a red herring. That's true, actually, because they, did they actually say that they've been in contact with I think they do. Like I, yeah. yeah, I genuinely, I don't know if they say that they've been communicating with them, but that they've had word from them, or, or you know, something to that effect. They are aware of what's going yeah. on over there, and they're not okay with this. They need this to end. There's definitely um, a string of allusions to them not necessarily wanting to overthrow the marshal, but certainly doing things behind his back. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, they've well, the princess has had control taken away from her. The situation I, I understand it to be. Yeah. So she she doesn't obviously feel like that should have happened, and she feels like it's better for her people if if she's in control again. So it's understandable she would be doing things behind the marshal's back. But it's, yeah, it's a very good point about how they're meant to be brokering peace when there's no one there to broker with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not the first time that we've had a, an evil AI on the other side. I'm trying to remember what, what the other one was called. Do you remember there were two spaceships that had crashed somewhere and one spaceship was literally just the onboard computer? Is this um, is this Leela's people? Wait, also. Also Leela's people. Although Leela's people, the evil AI there was the AI that had been injected with the Doctor's consciousness. But I'm, hang on, I'm yeah. going to go over to whobackone.com, which is an excellent source of information in this case. Oh, I need to add a link to Classic Who right off the bat. There we go. Might it be Underworld? Oh, maybe it is Underworld. It is. That's the colony ship that then turned into a planet because in the core there is that ship and it's run by the onboard computer. Yeah. And I think in that one we kind of made references to the, the Sabatine also, yeah. ep- episode as well. Yeah. So what happened to the Xeons? Did they just die out? Did they program this computer before they died? I don't know, because I really got the impression later in the serial that they hadn't been there for a long time. Yeah, but... I agree with you, by the way, because, I mean, there's no trace of them, but Shap, Chap, he's Chap in my notes because of autocorrect, so Chap, (laughs) Chap at some point is asked, he really is, he's asked by the doctor, what do they look like? Are they big, dark, robed chaps or people? And Chap goes, no, actually, they look just like us, like they dress differently, but they look just like us. So that suggests that he's seen them in his lifetime. But then, is he not a little bit uncertain with it as well? Like when the doctor's saying they're not a bit gaunt looking. I don't know, it's hard to take anything that Shap says um, <laughs> with too much confidence because he's, he's a weird character. We, we need to talk about him, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I got the, the feeling in that conversation that if he had seen a Zeon, it was a very long time ago. Okay. But more, more likely he had seen like photos of them or something. Like, oh, that's possible. I don't know. Like it, it felt like very far removed like they'd been fighting this war for so long they've forgotten who the enemy is you know it, i don't know it was that kind of flavor yeah it's almost like that started a long long time ago <laughs> hey <laughs> do you want to talk about uh chap 
Yeah, let's do that. Because one of the first questions I wrote down to ask you is, how great are Shap's facial expressions? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my favorite must be when he fires his laser at one of the, I'm assuming it's, I'm assuming it's one of the Shadow's henchmen, and and he's being fired on at the same time, and he's just making the most cringy face whilst falling backwards into the T-mat. It's just priceless. <laughs> Is this the point where he's screaming Merrick as well? Because yes. Merrick's just round, round the yeah, corner. Yeah, he's like, Merrick! <laughs> he tumbles backwards and presumably T-mat's away. Yeah. This is actually the point. I thought he got killed then, and then he just yeah. appears late, later with a slightly sore arm. He a hundred percent got lasered. <laughs> yeah, yeah Shap, Shap's a, it's such a weird character because to start with, when he's like the second in command of the the marshal, yeah, you don't. I didn't really think much of him. He was just he was just there. He was performing his duties, and then suddenly when he's on his own, he just turns into basically the the comedy for any episode he's in. Yeah, because the marshal's been holding him back. he had his tight five before this war broke out (laughs) and since then the marshal's just been staring at an obsidian wall all day (laughs) he's just like i want to crack a joke he won't even allow us go and wee in his weird obsidian toilet (laughs) i left my book in there (laughs) under my crystal skull paperweight (laughs) paperweight no isn't that the loo brush (laughs) Maybe the Crystal Skull is their equivalent of the three seashells in Demolition Man. You know? Oh, I don't know that reference. <laughs> Have you seen Demolition Man? We've had this before, yes. But oh. A long time ago, I don't remember it. Watch it again, it's fantastic. Nigel Hawthorne plays an alien and they never address it. It's so good. Um... <laughs> Yeah, one of my notes here about, this time I must have corrected the order correct, Shap, I, I've just written Shap's squeaky voice when radioing to Atrios. When he, he, oh, he, yeah. The first time he radios, he's just like, hey, it's Shap! <clears throat> it, it's Shap. <laughs> yeah, I like that like, guy. He, he does an amazing job of it. I just, it's quite a ballsy move, though, I think, in this script. Like, I don't know, <laughs> do, you, do you think he was always written like that? Or did the actor just turn up on set and then and he was like, you know what? I'm going to have a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what what if I did this? Because <laughs> if if they plan from the start for that character to be like that, I think I think that's a ballsy move. <laughs> yeah, it works out. And when he's teaming up with the Doctor, he it becomes like a buddy cop movie because he is the comedic sidekick, and the Doctor is the professional yet slightly unhinged policeman. And then later on, they redo that same dynamic, but turn it up to eleven with Drax. <laughs> Yes, very true. <laughs> but I really like that. I mean, th- there's a lot of teaming up between the Doctor and someone else. Uh, well, I mean, between those two. So Doc and Sharp and Doc and Drax. But then we also get a fair amount of Romana splitting off doing her thing and getting a companion of her own in, you know, Timothy. Yeah. No, it's in- yeah, it's an interesting point, actually, because Romana isn't kind of present through bits of it. Like, she gets captured and is being tortured and she's literally used as a... As bait. As bait, yeah, yeah. As bait. Which isn't great for your your female companion. Like I thought she but, was given a lot of agency in this one though. It's certainly a step up from the last one. I mean yeah, almost I anything would be a step up from the last one, but Yeah. I think, yeah, the, th- the thing is, when she's not in that situation, they did a lot to make her stand out. She's definitely the one that's, you know, trying to find the key to the piece of time. She's questioning everything. Like, sometimes... Yeah. You get the situation, which 
they sort of establish the dynamic of Doc's generally knowing what's going on and keeping the cards close to his chest sort of thing. And Romana's half playing catch up, but she's she's just kind of like the voice of exposition in a way of just like, oh, what's what's this? And is this going to happen? And, and the doctor is always just kind of like, yes, of course. Or, you know. Yeah. But then there's, in there's, the end, she becomes the voice of reason. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the uh, Doc is losing his shit. Doc is about to be swayed and, and turn to the dark side, it seems when he's got the full key to time. It's like, oh, we have the power over every particle in the universe. Think of it. Like, we can control everything. Meanwhile, she's calling them murderers. It's like, we're, we're murderers. We, we we killed this poor woman in completing the key to time. We're just pawns for some greater power. She becomes the very sensible one towards the end. Yeah. No, I, I love that speech of hers about like, basically being used by the Guardians and then... Astra's life has just been thrown away. You know, she's uh, literally turned into a piece of this you know, <laughs> crystal. Yeah, crystal. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I take takes like issue with um, Doc being swayed by it. Do you? Did you not think that was just him pretending? I, I really thought he was just. I don't just think he was. A laugh. I don't think he was. The scanner isn't on at that point. We don't have an image of the full white guardian on screen. So it's it's just him and Romana and he's doing the weird like his eyes are rolling back to the you know to look at his optical nerves. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's having but he's a so fit. quick to come out of it though, isn't he? Like it's just like one little question of like, oh I think Romana, you know, is not you know, we shouldn't wield this power. He's like, oh, no, I'm not. Oh that's true. See, that's also a very fair point. I have a feeling that this is a serial that I will rewatch. I mean, it's a very long serial, so I'm not going to rewatch it tomorrow, but I will rewatch this quite soon, I think. I think it, it was something I couldn't quite 100% make my mind up on. Is I don't, I, I don't know if I wrote down other points, but there were definitely a few points where it sent, it felt like Doc was being a bit too flippant with stuff or going along with things a bit too much and ultimately it is undone and you think oh dot was playing along but then there is just that kind of niggling thing in the back of your head is like or well, was he playing along like that's hmm. that's actually quite quite a lot of trust on the audience's part to sorry on the writer's part you know to trust the audience to understand you know doc isn't like this like doc's not being swayed to do this bidding he, like, he's not deferring responsibility to the white guardian right at the end like through because throughout that whole conversation when the white guardian appears and says oh you've got the the key to time all of the pieces are together you should give it to me like doc is so so obeying and so kind of like yes i'm, I'm absolutely master sort of thing like, yeah I'm gonna, gonna come and give it to you right away but then just keeps like pausing and saying, like, oh but what a you know and it it seems but what is the winning argument it's something to do with the annihilation of astra isn't it that's the thing like he he has three four moments maybe where he's about to hand it over and then changes his mind yeah i mean it, i mean it's effectively it's two arguments i think it's the yeah but now it's complete so why do you need me to give it to you like it, it's already done you should already have it and he's and the guardian goes yeah but i i need to i need to keep it like for safekeeping i need it over here but then i think the main argument is i can't remember when it's said the reason i ask is because i don't remember if it said before or after the guardian shows up on screen that the um I think it's after. See, okay, so, all right, here's my theory. Here's my theory. He's actually going totally bananas, crazy balls with Romana. 
because he's faced with the key. It's a little bit too much power. It's the Sith, right? It's the it's too much power. Maybe she sways him to be like just simmer down, buddy, simmer down. The Guardian pops up on screen and he immediately goes into this incredibly sycophantic mode where he's talking to him. Oh, yes, uh, my lord. Yes, of course. Yes, blah, blah, my master. And then when he asks about the final key and he refers to her as a human being, he says the sixth segment was in fact a human being. Only then does he fully snap out of it, I think, because the, the sorry, I'm rambling, but only then does the Guardian say something like, yes, but it couldn't be helped. You know, I mean, I had to hide it somewhere, so I hid it in this person. And that's, I think, when he twigs and goes, oh, wait, actually, I'm here to do something good. And I've just been reminded of what it's like when someone has bad intentions. This person doesn't care about human life. See, that's really interesting because I, I wasn't prepared to believe that Doc was just completely handing stuff over without any question. And then it is, it's, it's very late in that dialogue that the question of whether it was right to put one of the pieces in a person comes up. And that's the explanation that Doc gives afterwards to like how he realizes that the the Black Guardian was the White Guardian, et cetera, et cetera. But I, st- I took that as... That's just the point where he knew 100% oh, okay. that this person. So he starts starts that dialogue as, I don't think I want to give this over. Like, this is a lot of power. I don't, like, we've said this from the start. It's like, if, if the Guardians are so powerful, why do they need this? A, a this gadget. Random yeah, what, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, which I guess is never addressed anyway, like because the Black Guardian is still a Guardian, still has this awesome power we don't quite understand. But yeah, I, I took it as an explanation for why Doc was kind of easing out the conversation, not that he needed convincing. It was just like a right. I, I got. I need to have some detail that just hundred percent solidifies. You are not the White Guardian. You are not the good being that you portray to be. Something's just dawned on me. I have to ask you, because maybe I completely misunderstood something (laughs) fundamental about this massive arc. Towards the end, the Black Guardian, in my notes, what I've written in part six, when we see the Black Guardian in, um, you know, it's like a photo negative, and then all of a sudden it shifts, and then he's wearing white. My note is, the Black Guardian is Colonel Sanders. So I thought uh, that was just me being old white guy racist. Like, to me, all old white guys look the same, clearly. And I assumed that this was Colonel Sanders from the beginning, and that, in fact, the Black Guardian, the evil Guardian, had sent them on this mission in the first place. But now I'm thinking that wasn't the case. That that was actually just the Black Guardian posing as the White Guardian. The Doctor is the one who's old person racist and looked at the Black Guardian in white face and went, oh, you must be that Colonel Sanders chap I met a few serials ago. But if that's the case, isn't the White Guardian going to be pissed off as hell because someone just ruined the key to time? You know what? I I never actually paused long enough to decide what it was meant to be in that last last bit. It's not the same act. Is it? I think it is the same actor. Oh, I is think, it? I think I think 100. Well, I didn't actually check this. We should probably check this. <laughs> I, I'm checking it right now. Like I, I thought the intention was that the guy in white was the same white guardian. At least, at least in looks. I mean. Okay. So the question was, when did the black guardian pretre- pretend to be the white guardian? Is it just this time, or is it also when the quest started? Cyril Luckham played the Guardian in the Reboss operation, and... Okay, that's totally not this guy. Okay, white guy racist. Because <laughs> <laughs> this guy has the most amazing name. Valentine Dial. 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 Valentine Dial. <laughs> okay, it's not the same. It's not the same guy. guy. Yeah. Okay, 
So that would lean it towards this is the Black Guardian pretending to be the White Guardian at yeah. this instance. So the White Guardian is going to be a bit pissed that Akita Khan is just being blown up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, I just paused on uh, Valentine Dial's Wikipedia page and seen he was in something called The Naked World of Harrison Marks and also Secrets of Sex. Okay, making a note. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely returning to that later on. Oh, I've got one more Star Wars note. My penultimate note of part six is Astra and Timothy meet, probably snog, and then in the next episode they learn that they're siblings, except in this one they just keep on snogging. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it wouldn't be the first uh, incest incident (laughs) (laughs) that we've suspected to have happened. (laughs) Can we talk Drax? Yes. (laughs) Because Drax is fantastic. When Drax first showed up, I assumed that he was one of the Xeons because he looks like a human and uh, he just wears different clothes and he is on this mystical third planet, quote unquote, which we also need to put a pin in because I have questions. But he is a Time Lord who went to Brixton, (laughs) got nicked by the cops, put in prison for like 12 years and developed a Cockney accent and somehow got out of Brixton And to this planet, (laughs) where he's then been held captive by the Shadow for ages, for like five years. Yeah. (laughs) It's, yeah, it's amazing. Like, if if you came up to me and said, you're going to enjoy a Cockney Time Lord, (laughs) I would have laughed in your face. (laughs) He's a Cockney Time Lord from Brixton, London, Earth. With three Fs. <laughs> what does he call the doctor? I think he calls him Feta Sigma, but I'm not sure. Yes, I, I didn't go back to it. Yeah. Feta Sigma. Because yeah, he, he, he gives him like a shortened name of Feet. He's calling him Feet, isn't it? Oh, oh, wait, this is his cockney again. It's Theta, except he pronounces it with an F. <laughs> Theta Theet. Sigma. Oh, yeah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so what does every time Lord at the Academy get a like combination of Greek letters for a name? Wait, is this the fraternity that the doctor was in? <laughs> oh, <maybe. laughs> hey, this is my brother from Theta Sigma. <laughs> Class of 92, which I loved as well. It's so incredibly yeah. weird. I was so confused when he first showed up and he's, he's talking to... Like, I, was, I was just convinced this was some lunatic who's like mistaken identity you know, thing with the Doctor. It's like, when it turns out that, no, he actually knows the Doctor, I was just like, what the fuck? Like, what is, how does this Cockney guy know the Doctor? <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of past do they have? And what is like, he doing here? <laughs> Why is he Cockney? <laughs> You know what, the, the what is he doing here, I don't think is fully really answered. <laughs> I don't no, I don't think so either. It's it's not really that clear how that situation came to be, and, and that he stays afterwards. Well, I think he was held captive. I think he went there in his TARDIS, which we never get to see, and he went there to make weapons for them, I think. And then he was just kept there. He was, oh, that... he was held yeah. hostage, effectively, to be their like, on-site mechanic, and then he starts taking apart his own TARDIS. <laughs> I, he's so, he's just wonderful. I love that. In the beginning, I just thought, oh, they have really jumped the shark with this one. Why <laughs> did you do this in part five? In part five, you spring this on me, you fuckers. But then he ends up being just absolutely wonderful. 
indeed. I love the reveal of his abode, <laughs> where the music that precedes it, the music swells to, to the reveal of his, you know, his pad. And it's just the most demoralizing crescendo because at the height of the music, we just see, oh, it's just another hole in the wall. Like, you just live in another part of this cave and you've got some junk on the table. <laughs> yes, it's just, it just happens to have a table with some junk on it. Great. <laughs> Like, for some reason, I didn't get it at the time, but the game show Nightmare, I don't know if you're familiar with it, just popped no? into my head. So this, oh, is this the thing, this the green screen thing? reality. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> and pretty much every adventure, there would be someone that would walk up to a table, and they could always see stuff directly underneath in front of them they could like look down from their from their helmet that they couldn't see out in front of them and so they would always describe the stuff on their table and it's just like this is just this is just the set from nightmare it's like there's <laughs> there's some wire there's a syringe and there's there's some copper pipe <laughs> uh take the copper pipe <laughs> should i watch this is this something that i've completely been missing out on a hundred percent okay <laughs> That's my Saturday sorted. Ah, lockdown. Okay. (laughs) Drax, his reason for staying as well is incredible. (laughs) That he, um, what's the actual dialogue? You mean at the end? Yeah. So he he decides he's gonna, you know, make make a deal to stay uh, stay on and and work with the marshal. And Doc asks him, "When did you arrange this?" And Drax says, "In about half an hour's time, I expect." He's a proper Cockney Time Lord. Like, <laughs> like if he ha- if he hasn't arranged it in half an hour's time, I'm sure he would just fiddle with things in his time machine. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's what I was going to say earlier. It's, it's like the whole you know being in a an engineer. Okay, that that could work as a Time Lord, but yeah. uh, manufacturer of weapons for like alien races. That's yeah. not very Time Lordy. <laughs> no, not well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the doctor has to tell him, well, whatever you build, you're not going to build weapons, are you? He's like, oh, no, 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 I'll build something else. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about a thing, Doc. Oh, that's another thing. Doc got a literal doctorate. Oh, yeah. And the way that is phrased, it makes you think there are just uh, a section of Time Lords out there who just are called the Doctor. Either that, or (laughs) we know that there are two academic Time Lords. There's the Doctor and the Master. The Master who has an MA, the Doctor who got a PhD. (laughs) They're just really unimaginative. (laughs) (laughs) I like Drax, anyway. He gets... Me too. He get oh no, he gets some good moments. Um, which other major characters are there that we need to touch upon here? So we've not really talked about Astra, have we? That's true. Astra is think... played by Lana Ward, who also plays Romana too. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, just, I I stumbled across this. I was just going to look it up the cast to see what else they've done and stuff. Plus, she I don't know. She struck a kind of oh, you look vaguely familiar vibe. And I think it's because I had seen photos of yeah. Romana too early. But this is, she's going to appear as Romana in the next episode. Like it's yeah. way away because it's the next series. So people would have had to wait, I don't know, a year or something for it. But how are they going to explain that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, th- this is the first time that we get a, I mean, presumably it's not the same Astra, right? So this is going to be the first time in Whovian history that we get what we otherwise see. I mean, we get to see it later on. I think um, Colin Baker does this at one point. Capaldi certainly did it. This is the first time where we get a Time Lord who regenerates, or Time Lady who regenerates into the form of a, quote, human that they've met before. Yeah. 
I don't know. I find it. It's weird. I find it very intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that got me was whilst Astra had been turned into the key to time, it's yeah. like, okay, maybe you choose that face as a reference to the fact that, you know, Astra was just a, a plaything for the Guardians and got destroyed. And it's like, it was almost like a memorial. But then, then she's alive at the end of it. It's like. Yeah. I don't know. I was assuming that we would get the regeneration in this serial. Yeah, I did wonder that. Yeah, because I, I think I looked it up around episode three or four or something and accidentally spoiled myself. And then for the rest of it, I was just like so intrigued as to how they're going to have this happen. And yeah, we don't even get it in this. We, we have to wait. I mean, here's an interesting and related bit of trivia from the DVD featurette. There's something about Mary, Mary Tam, uh, Ramona One. She says that while filming this serial, she made her final decision to leave the series. So to me, that says that she doesn't know that she is going to be replaced. I mean, she knows that she's going to be replaced by someone because she's now decided, oh, sorry, I'm done after this. But she doesn't yeah. know that she's going to be replaced by the person in the same scene. No, I, I, I presume no one knew because, yeah, Mary Tam hadn't decided to leave. So. Yeah, but that's super weird. I didn't look up the trivia yeah. until after I'd seen this because I didn't want her to be spoiled about, about anything. But I assumed that, the, well, as I said, I assumed that we were going to see the regeneration in this serial. And when you get these scenes of both of them, I'm sure in my notes somewhere I've, I've got a bullet point just to say, like, oh, I'm, I feel so sorry for, for Mary Tam, who she knows that she's going to pass the torch to this other, you know, co-star, the, her, the, this other actress. And it must be kind of sad. But now I realize, actually, she didn't even want to be there anymore. But ha- what? You know... <laughs> Also, wait, why is Astra alive at the end? Does breaking the key to time just undo the fact that that she was part of it? Is she now no longer a key to time segment? Is she actually a person now? Wait, hang on. I don't know if she's not... Yeah, that's, that's a good point. How are the other key segments... They are... Hang on, what do we had? Reba's Operation is a massive... Oh, sorry, go for it. I said the one that really I was curious about was the Pirate Planet one, because that was a shrunken planet. Yeah, that's a shrunken planet. Um, And I can't can't remember how that was suspended. Like, now it's flung back out into space. Is it going to just go (laughs) by the planet again? (laughs) (laughs) Someone's flying past there just at that moment, boom, crashes into a planet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one was but that's one the whole planet. Yeah, one is the statue. Rebus was some rock. Yeah, the the green. I can't remember what it was gem. called. Yeah, Astro makes four. So we've got what was Power of Kroll? That was that was Kroll. It was Kroll himself. Yeah. Effectively, yeah. Is that it? Is that all we have? And then there's one other one we've missed. Stones of Blood has the pendant. Pendant. Uh, okay. Power that planet. We've we said missed. that's the planets. Uh, yeah, that's it. But so yeah, has everything when... been undone, or has just her her death been undone? And if her death has been undone, is she actually a fake person? I can't remember what Doc says, but like he's he's dismantled the key to time. I think there's yeah. a vis- visual of the other pieces kind of being flung into space. Yeah, but they're as they're as the pieces. They haven't changed back to what they were before. But there's also lots of just debris. There are like tiny little shards of key i'm pretty sure yeah no you could be right with that but it's, it's plus it's not yeah, like it's... it this it, oh sorry i'm cutting you off again but just to say like i mean it's not like the key to time exp- first off the key to time is in the tardis and then all of a sudden it's just like cut to we see the key to time in space exploding uh, but it's not like one of those pieces like it, it it's not like it explodes you know 
it comes undone and then all of a sudden every piece morphs into what it was disguised as and we get to see Princess Astra's lifeless body floating through space. She's suddenly back on the planet Atrios talking to her brother Timothy before snogging him. <laughs> so yeah. It seems like there's something. there must be some connection to the time loop thing, right? I don't know. I, I think the doc has done something and we're just not let in <laughs> on what he's done. This <laughs> is the wibbliest excuse. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's no, done he's, something, he's, okay? He's done something. <laughs> he wibbled a wobble, all right? Or he wobbled a wibble, you know. It's either one the, or the other. <laughs> yeah. The point is he wanted Astra to be alive again and he's made that happen wait um, did he though how yeah i think that i think that's the whole thing that he he was trying to do he's he's taken that six piece and turned it back into astra and scattered the other pieces but it's not like he did something scientific or calculated he pulled out the key like you know the not the key he pulled out the compass and broke it <laughs> and one of the pieces turns into astra on a different planet and the other pieces are flung into space the, so I've looked at the dialogue, actually. It's timed with him asking Romana to dematerialize the TARDIS. I don't know if the implication is somehow the pieces get left behind in space and the TARDIS goes. Oh, maybe. I don't know, but, but then the dialogue later is, is definitely the Doctor saying, I just scattered it through space and time. Like, some something happens that we don't see. Does he ever say outright, I want her to live? Or does she say that? Like, I, I'm, I want... I want her to be alive again. Because it may be that Romana says that, and we have learned that you can command the key to time to do things. So if they just say, we want her to be alive, snap the compass, dematerialize, it may be that that's the final order given to the key to time, which then rewrites time and makes her alive. Yeah, that would be nice and neat, wouldn't it? We could tie a little bow around that one. I don't don't (laughs) think they actually say that. (laughs) How do you feel about the time loop, by the way? I, I think I really liked it, actually. Like, I, I'm with was, you on this. It was weird because it was kind of annoying. <laughs> <laughs> really? The first one where they, they're showing the, the marshal going, fire, hand moves slowly across dials. Yeah. Fire. And, you know, it was just a, that teetering on that edge of, you know, repetitive and annoying, even, th- even though I knew what they were you know, trying to show quite quickly. But yeah, I think ultimately, I think it worked quite well. And the idea of stretching it out as well. Yeah, that's ingenious. That's so yeah. good. You made the note in the um, intro about we would love Drew to have <laughs> into, into this because I, I, I don't know how it would sit with his brain. You know, <laughs> Would it blow his little mind? <laughs> I have two bullet points in my notes. Oh, no, Drew would hate this. And then later on, Drew would love this. <laughs> no, sorry. Drew would, yeah, Drew would love this countdown. <laughs> Checking I those. Don't, I don't think he could, he could hate it because... We it's see. finally a countdown that's done completely right whilst toying with the concept of time travel and time dilation in a show about time travel. Exactly, yeah. And there's there's never a question that those seconds are taken down accurately as well. There's, you know, every single portrayal of those seconds is accurate. Yeah. In Obviously in the constraint that they are being looped. <laughs> yeah, exactly. is isn't really accurate. The time loop is not the only out-of-the-blue sci-fi gizmo thingy that happens in this serial. Oh, do tell, do tell. Uh, I see your time loop and raise you a shrink ray. Oh, <laughs> oh that's some anti you put down there. <laughs> that came out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> My last lo- note of um, part five, because I've since... <laughs> 
discovering your fascination with cliffhangers, I've made a note of writing down the cliffhangers. And for part five, I just wrote cliffhanger, colon. I don't know what Drax just did, but what an idiot. And then it turns out he shrinks the Doctor. Do we ever find out that what he's been building is a shrink ray? I don't know, because I... I lost track of exactly what it was, but I wrote down for that cliffhanger, Drax has shot Doc with a dimension beam thing. Ah. I think is it the word dimension must be thrown around when they're constructing that thing. I think it must be com- composed of the dimensional something something, you know, circuitry from Drax's TARDIS. Yes, I think so. I don't know what Doc's plan was, to be honest. And I don't know how Drax... Trucks thought, ah, yes, if we're small, that will be good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Doc, I got your back. <laughs> just honey, I shrunk the kids him. It's just the dumbest thing. <laughs> so many get... other things he could shrink in that scene. <laughs> hey, yeah. No, not really. <laughs> the other thing I didn't get, because we get to see this twice, it is the cliffhanger, so we get it repeated at the start of episode six, Yeah, is Doc seems to be kind of trying to send a signal to Drax. It's like, yeah, this Doc- guy, this guy. <laughs> but then, but he says, like, oh, he's talking to the henchman and saying, like, when the shadow is has the six-piece, he's just going to kill you, and then he'll kill me. But yeah. he makes such a laboured point. If he'll kill you, and then he'll kill me. And it's just like... <laughs> How is Drax meant to interpret that? It's like, well, I should just kid everyone? Okay. <laughs> well, I bet the Doctor assumed, hey, Drax, you know that you're building a shrink ray, right? What possible good could come of you shrinking me in this scenario? <laughs> well, he just hadn't thought far enough ahead. It's like, well, if we Trojan horse with canine as the horse, <laughs> then we can just make the most bling-tastic entrance ever. <laughs> yeah, that's true, but that's not the time to do it. Like, get rid of the mute henchman first, get him out of the out of the picture, then start planning your Trojan horse scenario. Yeah, that's a fair point, yeah. Don't do it so that you're both... And then also, like, <laughs> honey, I shrunk the kids yourself so that the two of you are itsy-bitsy and we then get to see the mute. They're called mutes. Weird, I thought. But we get to see the mutes clomp-clomp past them with his just straight-up totally sweet boots. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't look at them too closely, but they're not just like Dr. Martin. Yeah, they're basically Doc Martens. I, for a moment, I was toying with the idea of having some kind of Doc Martens, you know, joke in the intro. I couldn't think of one. But <laughs> yeah, really sweet boots, man. Anyway, freaking shrink rays and drags. Yeah, I love that guy. So we, we get from that to, I mean, they're both Honey, I Shrunk the Kids after the Doc has opened, uh, unlocked the door to the TARDIS. So cut to next scene, I think is um, uh, one of the mutes and, what's his face, the shadow, going up to the TARDIS, and the mute goes in, collects the key key segments, and ca- it takes them back out. And there are two things about that scene that really astonish me. One is that when the door opens, there's lots of light pouring out. I mean, it's, it's the equivalent of in the reboss operation when the doors open and the light pours in when the white guardian is outside. Yeah. And the, do- the black guardian can't go in. He's just like, oh, it's too bright, it's too bright. You go in, and he sends in the mute. The mute goes in, comes out with a key, and then closes the TARDIS doors behind him. It's like, what the hell? Maybe there's something else in there you want. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't get that at all, to be honest. What was 
meant to be happening with the shadow because it almost alludes to oh you know what the way that you're going to beat him the way to defeat the shadow is by casting a light at him because that is his weakness we have learnt now that is the shadow's weakness which is what they do isn't it no they just blow up the they blow up the third planet and he is on it no I mean when the when they come out of canine there's a brief little window isn't there where they distract him Is, is that with like a little flash bomb is it oh I missed that I think you're probably right. I didn't realize that. I don't think I made a note of it, but yeah, that's why I kind of remember there just being a a moment of zap, and then then I think it went into darkness. Like it, there was there was lighting in that scene, and then it was just like really bright thing. They're running away, and suddenly it seemed dark. I think you must be right. I can't think of anything else that they could have done in that scene because I I genuinely cannot remember how they get out of that room, out of his like throne room. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a oh I'm throwing dirt in your eye. Run away. Yeah. <laughs> <Moment>. <laughs> So someone we haven't talked about, I guess, would be K-9, actually. Okay, yeah, let's hear it. Um, Again, still pleasantly surprised how much I enjoy K-9. Yeah. Um, The the only question I have, actually, was at the end when he's... He's so we get we get a moment obviously when the shadow somehow takes control of Canine. The shadow becomes master. Yes. Which I don't recall being explained really how the shadow did that. Do, do we get an explanation? I think he reprograms him similarly to how the I can't remember what the other AI was called on. Uh, I can't even remember the other planet. The evil AI was reprogrammed at some point. Okay. In fact, I, I vaguely remember actually there being an instant of the control chip things as well, but maybe maybe not. But anyway, yeah, the shadow has a, the ability. Oh to no, you're right. He puts. People. You're right. He puts a thing on on K9 because when Doc pushes K9 into Drax's uh, workshop, he says, "Do you see? There's a thing on him. <laughs> Pull it off." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pull K9 off, please. <laughs> yeah. So we we get an evil K9 for a while, um, which is quite sinister. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the only thing I didn't get was when Canine then has to pretend that he's still the evil Canine. He uh, develops a cough. <laughs> is that what it is? Because I, I have on a couple of uh, occasions noted down, why does Canine clear his throat? Is that yeah, is that evil Canine? I didn't realize that was an evil Canine thing. Well, I don't think it was an evil Canine. It's, it's I think he does good, it when he's good Canine as well. Yeah, it's good Canine pretending to be evil Canine. I think I first noted it when... Cause some some reason the way to get into that room, as far as K nine is concerned, is to blast a hole in the wall. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's so, so it's coming through through the dust and rubble and goes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what the hell? <laughs> Why are you coughing, K nine? So good. K nine definitely fakes an evil bleepy bloopy. He has a different kind of bleep when he's evil. And when Doc goes, no, no, you need to fool the Guardian, uh, not the Guardian, the Shadow, into thinking that you're still doing his bidding, K9 goes, uh, bleep, 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 bleep. Uh, and I think <laughs> Doc even says, I'm like, yeah, that's better. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I didn't notice that. No, heavier on the bleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and soften the bloop. <laughs> So what is this third planet, which is the evil lair of the shadow, which is a place that just could do with swing doors so that K9 doesn't have to blast a hole in their rear walls <laughs> whenever he wants to enter a room. But it's described as a planet. It's the third planet. It is just a system of caves that we get to see. But from the outside, it looks like a space station. Yes. So is it a planet or is it a cave know. spaceship? 
Because that's my note. Skeletor lives on a cave spaceship. I was a bit confused by all of that, to be honest. I, when the marshals' missiles at the end are shooting towards the planet and then they veer off and suddenly there's this space station and it gets blown up. It's like, uh, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> And, yeah, Doc says, oh, I, I put up some MacGuffin and deflected the yeah. missiles. And But uh, then we get a cut of, if I recall correctly, the shadow. Like, we, we see that space station, like, obliterated. As, oh, yeah. Like, the model shot is, it just totally gets destroyed. But then we see the shadow kind of, like, going, oh, get you, Doctor. I don't know what he says. <laughs> I, I, I think I'll get you next time, Gadget. <laughs> well, I think the shadow is Donzo. I think that's him dying. And because he is a Sith Lord, his spirit is still there. You know, it's a, like it's like a Force hologram, Force Ghost. Okay, I can buy that. I think so. Because <laughs> that's, by the way, that's another Star Warsy thing. He's clearly Darth Vader. His henchmen are the, you know, the his Sith God, and he reports to an Emperor who is the Dark Lord, not the Dark Lord, the Black Guardian, whom he refers yeah. to as My Lord. Yeah, kind of, kind of checks. Yeah, yeah. Although he he likes torturing with electricity, though, which is a bit Emperor-like as well. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, imagine for a moment that the Shadow had chosen a different segment to wait at. You know, instead of going (laughs) to this planet, instead of building a third planet that is a spaceship and creating this He's just rocking up in the swamp. He's just (laughs) hanging out with the swamp piece. Yeah, or he's in the castle next door to what's his face, Gerard Depardieu's character in Android yeah. Zatara. I guess it would kind of work there. He could he could be a an evil wizard like character fooling them all. Yeah, on Rebos he would just be like, freezing his bony nuts off, <laughs> and occasionally <laughs> the the guards who are you know like ah oh, these are the crown jewels and we're we're guarding them. Occasionally, just a skeleton would walk into the room and admire the collection. <laughs> He'd just be like, can I help you, sir? (laughs) Just looking. (laughs) This is our most prized royal royal collection. You take as long as you want, sir. (laughs) Wait, do you want to wear some of them? (laughs) Okay, another question for you. At one point, Timothy Merrick? Whatever. Yeah, Merrick, Merrick. Yeah, something like that. At one point, he falls into some sort of green screen bubble. Yeah. What's that about? I don't know. (laughs) The same thing happens to the doc, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, you're right. This the only only reference I got from this was um, that bit in Labyrinth where not seen it. She, <gasps> well, for everyone else, when she bites bites the peach or whatever fruit it is and falls into a dream, and it's like in a, she's basically inside a crystal snow globe. It's that similar kind of vibe of because because that, that's the kind of feeling you get when, especially when Astra is there to rescue Merrick. Yeah. Like, it looks like you're looking out of some kind of glass, if not sphere, like a bot- bottle thing or, you know, something with a, a circular glass top. Yeah, exactly. Have you seen Get Out? No. Oh, then I can't make references. Watch it. It's so good. Anyway, Podcast Land. <laughs> Everyone except Jim <laughs> has already I, seen Get Out. Wait, right? I, Am I right? I, yeah. I put my fingers <laughs> in my ears. <laughs> Yeah, I don't really get it. Like, there are a few few powers of the shadows that I don't feel are contextualized, and that if you have those powers, dude, just, like, win. Because <laughs> he, he puts, as you say, the Doctor, as I'd forgotten, and Timothy in this weird crystal ball whatever thingy. He has the ability to control literally 
anyone through technology, and he can create holographic clones of people. Like, there's a scene where we get five Romanas and two Doctors at one point. Like, the Doctor yeah. walks past himself and waves. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Doctor walks past himself, yeah. Which is great. But, but if you have that power, use it. Don't just use it to screw with the Doctor. I mean, just straight up employ that as a tactic. White kidnap the princess, whom at this point Skeletor doesn't know. Wait, Skeletor does know that the princess is the key to time. Yes, I think I think he's. It's I think fine. he knows that from the from the start. Yeah, but if he has control over the marshal, and clearly they can just go in and out of this place constantly. There are hidden tea mats all over the place. Mm. Why not just grab her? I don't know if he cares about having her. Like, I, I feel like he's close enough. The whole thing is getting the other five pieces. Okay, okay, that makes sense. But I, I think you're right, though. I, it's it's a bit of a loose end why he doesn't use those powers more. Like, Doc seems to be freaking out a bit, actually, in that hallucinogenic sequence when he's seeing the five Romanas and then he walks past himself. You know, yeah. Understandably, you know, you're starting to become a bit freaked out. And yeah. how, how broken would Doctor have been if you kept that up for 30 days straight, you know? <laughs> It's like, on the other side of it, he's just like, no, take the five pieces. I don't want them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but obviously a very different serial. <laughs> uh, also. <laughs> <laughs> 24 minutes straight of, you know, one episode is just the Doctor on a massive trip. <laughs> and the next episode is him just, <laughs> no, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> not after the, what was it called? The, the, no, it's not the, is it the Impossible Planners? Are you thinking of the, the Deadly Assassin when he's in the Matrix? No, the one no? where, yeah. like, there are, there are crystals and you pour water on them, they turn into LSD and then you sniff them and you turn into a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a pretty decent synopsis of that serial. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I remember Disco Werewolf, man. But yeah, <laughs> so we... that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is Planet of Evil. Pla- thank you, yes, Planet of Evil. Segwaying nicely for the Shadow's faults of not using his abilities, I did quite enjoy the fact that he has a plan with Astra being controlled and she's, she's going in to basically get the Doctor to, to hand over the pieces. And at the same time, he lures Canine away using his lackeys. And it works 100% to his credit. Like, you know, he's already got a spy Astra and she's off doing a thing. And then he gets Canine in and he manages to take over Canine as well. Like, he's a, he's a proper badass villain. By the same token, in part five, I have written, why does low-budget Skeletor need Canine as his eyes and ears when he already has Astra? All right, that might be a fair point. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I guess... Maybe it's that he knows that Astra is a key to time and he needs someone who isn't one. Like, he needs someone who isn't suddenly going to turn into a piece of crystal. Yeah, I think... She or can't maybe Canine can get closer it. to the Doctor. Yeah, well, she can't literally pick up the key to time. Like, she will turn into the that sick is piece it. and then just fall to the floor. <laughs> yeah. No, that's exactly it. I think you're totally right. Different point. Doc gets a completely new X-Men power in this one. He's impervious to fire. Is he? When does that happen? <laughs> yeah. In part two, K9 is put on that conveyor belt to be recycled, and he's taken to, like, a furnace. And the Doctor oh, yeah. just walks into the furnace, carries canine out and says yeah it's a trick i learned when i was on whatever you know the fire planet where people walk on walk on coals or i can't remember what he says but yeah he's impervious to fire that's 
Yeah, that's a bit shit. <laughs> a bit weird, just out of nowhere. In that same episode, super long fight scene, the dog fight, the, as in the, you know, the, the spaceship fights, and yeah. it is all radar-based. Yes, I uh, I just noticed that in my note as a massive plus point. I really liked that, just like the radio chatter, the, the little visuals on the screen, and the, yeah. the, pe- the people in the control room trying to orchestrate the whole battle, you know. Yeah, and the marshal being a bit of an idiot as well. Because at yeah. one point, one of the lights goes up, it goes out, and Shap probably says, like, oh, a direct hit. And he's like, oh, great. He's like, no, it was one of ours. So it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which was weird, actually. Like, in hindsight, they might have been aiming for comedy with that. But I think in the... Because we hadn't seen that side of Shap's character up to that point, I totally didn't get that as comedy. I took that as, like, straight face stuff. Yeah, me too. And also just the horrors of war and how you know the soldiers to the the general or in this case the pilots to the marshal they're all just they're just numbers on a piece of paper or they're dots on a radar screen they're, there's there's nothing else there uh, apologies to anyone who's in the military and I, I'm not trying to offend but like that's kind of the stereotype that they're playing on that to this guy it's just it's just cannon fodder exactly yeah but in that scene no action no like action sequences no lasers nothing like that but such tension fantastic scene and also a little bit of a star wars vibe like obviously we we see it in star wars we get the massive trench run scene yeah but we also get big scenes of people just leaning over consoles listening to the the fighter yeah chatter which is and again is they're all drawing on the same sources they're drawing on the the war films made in the 50s about world war Two. yeah true but yeah, it was done very well. Like that, that whole thing, like I said before about the the, the set with the crew and that it, it flows directly into that. And you just, you get swept up in it very quickly. You're just like, you're in the control room of a war. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's done really well. Yeah. Anything else? In part four, the marshal goes, we're going to crush him. We're going to crush him like a rotten egg. But would you really crush a rotten egg? No. No, you make damn sure it doesn't crack. You throw it away or you boil it and bin it or you flush it. You do not crush a rotten egg. Anyway, yeah. Sorry, I'm really... (laughs) I'm running on fumes here, man. I'm going through my notes. I don't know. A random note out there, but... uh... I quite liked that when they actually construct a fake sixth piece and they, they oh, have yes. they have the the basic power of the key to time. It's a kind of like a an oops moment. It's like Doc Doc's a bit surprised that he, he's paused the entire universe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's like ah, shit. <laughs> yeah. That might cause some problems. <laughs> I thought that was very clever. And that obviously is then what leads into the time loop. And because you can't quite forge a key to time segment, that time loop is dilated. Oh, it's it's really very clever. Yeah, it's, it's a really nice concept. And they do it, do it really well, I think. Yeah. And yeah, after that, Doc throws that line of someone somewhere has stepped on a banana skin and will be wondering forever when he's going to hit the ground. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Very good. Unless you have anything else you want to talk about, I've got some um, little trivia points I can uh, r- rattle off before we jump into our ratings, if you're interested. Hit me with the trivia, baby. 
Okay. Originally, the sixth segment was not meant to be Princess Astra, but it was meant to be the shadow of the shadow. Shadow of the shadow, eh? Yeah. No, that's crap. Yeah, I'm glad they changed it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I didn't realize this was happening, but part one of this six-parter was the 500th episode of Doctor Who. No way. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to raise a beak after that. Me too. Well done. 500 episodes. 505 so far. Clink, clink. Good good show. Good show indeed, yes. And... The final scene of the story, and this ties into something that we discussed, or not discussed, but something that was mentioned in a listener mini in the last classic that we did, and we didn't know where it came from or what it was referring to. The final scene of this story was written by producer Graham Williams and incoming script editor Douglas Adams. Yeah, I, I saw a thing about this. I had no idea he were All right. worked on it for a while. Yeah, pretty great. Um, the other thing noted about that is that the original script, yeah, which I, I, I guess is what you're implying, but the, the Black Guardian was not in the original script. Like this, this oh, whole right. story was not was not going to have the Black Guardian in it at all, which would have been a real letdown. I feel a super letdown. If there's no Black Guardian in in this serial, would would the Shadow just have been the Black Guardian, or is it? There is the Shadow who works for the Black Guardian, but we never get to see the Black Guardian. I assume it would have been that, which just seems a bit of a letdown. I already think that there was too little Black Guardian, but I'll get into that in a moment. So given that little hint of uh, there is more to come from you, shall we go into our ratings? Let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. What a conclusion to the key to time arc. Wowie. <laughs> to me, this is so much better than than much of what we've seen so far in the key to time. And I say that as someone who has really enjoyed much of what we've seen so far. The Doctor is absolutely spectacular. I kind of want to not focus on the Doctor for this little mini. I, he was great. I loved him. Romana was par excellence. I'm so sad to see Romana 1, to see Romana go. I can only hope that Romana 2 will be as good, but it's it's going to be difficult to be as good as Romana's been to date because she was such a breath of fresh air, so intelligent and, and full of agency, except when faced with giant squids and sass. And, and she was, you know, she was gutsy. It was great. And I'm, I'm really going to miss her. K9 also got a decent amount of airtime in this one. And uh, holy moly, he really went for it. Well done, K9. Loved evil K9 as well. In addition to which, there's a really rich set of characters and contexts in this serial. Uh, I guess the politics of the situation may not have been fleshed out (laughs) at times at all. I mean, we don't know what happened to the Zeons, what either side really stands for, or why they're at war to begin with. But we don't really need to know any of that either. The story wouldn't have been much richer for it had we learned about the motivations. There's instead this sort of classical good versus evil scenario, except we pan back and we realize that everyone's a little bit crap. And I love it. Poor Astra and Timothy need to stick around there now, but at least they have Drax there to rebuild the place. But perhaps the best thing about this serial is that there's just so much sci-fi crammed into it. I couldn't get enough of any of it. There's time dilation and T-mats and time loops and discount Darth Vader and a shrink ray and a cockney time lord with a criminal record. Again, with magnificent Drax, bonus points for his charming mug, no doubt about that. 
I said at the start of this review that, or this episode, that it probably could have been cut down to five episodes. There were certainly a few too many bleeps and bloops for my liking around the middle. But then again, they could have just cut the bleeps and focused on other things instead, thus keeping it at this glorious six-episode mark. The one thing that I really was missing here, and it it blows my mind given the trivia that you rounded off the review section of this episode with, the one thing that I would have enjoyed even more would be a, a bit more of the Black Guardian. That's one of very few criticisms on my part, particularly if he had been there in the guise of the White Guardian. But you know what? Sod it! I love this serial. I would happily get stuck in a time loop and rewatch it a thousand times. I've written down 4.6, and I very nearly took this up to 4.7, but 4.6, it's 4.6, and a shit ton of further decimals. Ugh. (laughs) All right, here we go. Let's hear it. Well, that was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm slightly shocked. I thought you were going to go higher. Anyway, anyway. Oh, no. Anyway. See, now I really regret it. <laughs> See, I think, you know, what struck me watching this is I was I was definitely on track for a, could this be the first five I give out? Oh, wow. Watching this serial. And I think ultimately I, I haven't quite got there. Okay. But like we we have talked about the the many merits of this and you've you've summed it up beautifully as well. But the it's worth re reemphasizing how amazing the production of this of this was in general. Like the the costumes, the sets, the filling out of you know, it's not a massive cast. Like particularly people that actually speak <laughs> is very small. But we do have lackeys that they don't say anything, but there are presence. We have people in the control room that are making it feel like there's a, a real war going on, you know, that kind of stuff. And then others, you know, strangely massive plus points that i didn't expect i would have particularly as a key to time episode and a finale and something that was so dramatic throughout the entire serial is there was comedy that worked mostly yeah. surrounding chap but i enjoyed it like there, there was a, a genuine feel like this is this is a light relief from the amount of drama and just left right and center just just things just happening and there's like a little pause for comedy and, and that kind of thing and it didn't feel out of place it just worked like you rightly pointed out you know, that kind of just gets dialed up again when drex becomes a, a major feature and it's yeah, I I have to reiterate. I never thought I would like a Time Lord geezer. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved him. <laughs> like I think possibly only in classic dot who could it work. If if they tried to do this in New Who, I don't think they would make that stick. <laughs> it would just be cheap or it would be too comedic or something. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. But they they tried it in this and they pulled it off. Yeah, there there are some minor letdowns. I, I feel like the little peep we get behind the Black Mirror is a bit underplayed, and the whole there's a skull sat there is is not you know played up enough and explained enough. You're right to point out that there's not enough Black Guardian. That was something I was expecting and looking forward to in this this final piece of the arc is okay mm. we've the very first episode set up that there's going to be a, a yin and a yang is like you know the black guardian is going to a feature and then we get his second in command throughout the entire serial like if they had left it so that the black guardian was on it at all i would be knocking off like two three whole points it's just like no you bastards <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's good that we get something, and I think it does it does kind of work as a as a bookend. It's it's probably not a similar length to what we get as the White Guardian in the first episode, but yeah, more would have been good, I, I guess. 
like the imagining just how the doctor could have faced up to a real stronger power than him and winning you know that could have there's so much kind of uh, interesting stuff they could have done there but it's, it's a minor thing we still get great stuff anyway you have pointed out leon the you know question marks around what powers the shadow himself had and whether they are underused i think that's a fair thing to criticize i think there you know there are always little quibbles as well in in certain things i I had a note about how uh doc actually gets canine out of his his controlled state and he just manages to just grab him and shove him down the tunnel and and then drax on the problem over (laughs) onto drax yeah exactly it is you know this is canine this is canine that we've seen mow down multiple adversaries in in one fell sweep and yeah doc can just grab him and i'm fine with it you know fine with it yeah (laughs) minor minor things like for what we get we've you know we've got space princesses we've got um canine being evil we've got ast- you know we've got said space princess acting evil we've got so many different things we've got plot lines covering plot lines and not real plot holes as well like it's incredible story threading through and and pulling all these pieces together um to the point that you you have a moment shared with romana and the doctor at the end where it's like oh the marshal shit the marshal's gonna shoot us you know and you get it. You you understand that so much has happened, but you don't care that they're they're going back to this thing that has been dropped for probably an episode and a half. You know, it, it just makes sense. And I think that's a, a testament to the to the writing, the directing, the acting, everything. Like it's just all top notch stuff. So like I said, get I to it. Stop could, circling couldn't, it. <laughs> couldn't quite bring myself to give it a five. Although I did write a five and correct it. <laughs> Holy I moly. Did. Okay. So I I, just, I feel like there's just too many little things. And maybe it's the fact that it's six parts rather than four. If they really you know, polished it up, put it into four, maybe that would have been enough. But yeah, it's practically there. It's a 4.9. 4.9? Yep. Oh, you know, I've, I've got ratings envy now uh, and ratings regret. <laughs> oh, well done. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Excellent stuff, dude. Uh, <laughs> do you reckon people agree with us? I think they probably do, but let's find out. Yes, let's. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Rooney and Cheesecakes, we have arrived at the Listener Mini portion of this podcast episode. Welcome, welcome. We've got a handful and then some of Listener Minis for this one. The first one, right out of the gate, is Peter Zunich. It's the Zunmeister himself. What up, Peter? Hello there, Peter. Peter says, okay, straight up, I love this story. (laughs) Yes. It's the perfect serious drama to conclude the overall arc. It does have a few plot holes, however, not the least of which is the one that's plagued me for years. Since the White Guardian never gets the key, did he really get to fix the vagueness that was plaguing the universe? I know there's one line about, you don't actually need to hold it to fix it, but it just doesn't fly. Second. Since Romana actually placed the temporary segment, why does the key listen to the Doctor? Third, why are Drax and Romana still unfrozen once the real segment is in place? Hmm. Finally, when the key is broken, Astra comes back to life and goes home. Logically, let's track <laughs> where the others go. I've just looked ahead. This is good. Okay. <laughs> segment five magically reappears in the carcass of a dead squid. <laughs> 
looks squishy. Segment four turns into a grand old family statue on the now defunct estate ground. <laughs> so sad. Segment three is again a necklace around a recently executed Cesare of Diplos. Oh. Segment two, a dead planet just appeared, throwing Zanuck into tidal Armageddon. <laughs> Segment one, a whole lot of Jethric going on in the Doctor's storeroom. Anyway, concludes Peter, it's a beautifully produced story that will probably make a ton more sense once I get around to listening to the Big Finish sequel. Ooh. Mm, interesting stuff. It's got tremendous rewatch value, and it's nice to finally get some good writing for K9. This story rates a half skull on the outside. 4.4. <laughs> Very nice, Peter. Excellent rating. Excellent mini. <laughs> I love awesome the, stuff. I love the just terrible, terribly tragic stuff going on as a consequence of this. <laughs> Thank you very much, Peter. Next up, we've got Paul Waring. Hello there, Paul. What up? Paul starts, as the final story, one hoped for the Armageddon factor to end the Key to Time arc with a bang, but it ends up being more of a whimper. The regulars are on good form, though, and the relationship between the Doctor and Romana has moved from antagonism to mutual respect. It's a shame Mary Tam doesn't continue beyond this story, as I think she's fantastic as Romana. Yeah, seconded. Uh, yeah, we thought that too. Mm. Paul continues, The Marshal is well cast and convincing as a general who wants victory at any cost. I like Shap, but the scene where he is shot, freezes, and then falls backwards is <laughs> a bit, okay, a lot cringeworthy. Loved it. <laughs> Drax is not as witty as Garen from the Reboss operation. Some much needed humor to an otherwise dark and depressing story. I'm sorry. No, he is so much better than Garen. <laughs> <laughs> The Shadow is an over-the-top pantomime villain. Boo-hiss. But that's not unusual for classic who. <laughs> Can I just interject? You know what? I agree with you, Jim. I'm looking at you. I agree with you. about. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer Drax, but I didn't know about Drax before. And Garen might appear in a certain audiobook. So... <laughs> <laughs> So uh, what you're saying is I have to love him. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Maybe I need to rewrite that. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Paul continues. There are some clever moments to this story, including the way the Doctor works out that the White Guardian is an imposter. The Shadow's strategy of finding one segment and then waiting for the Doctor to come to him. And the creation of the randomizer. One wonders if the randomizer is necessary, though, given that the Doctor never seems to know where he's going anyway. Overall, concludes Paul, this is the weakest keep time story. But not so bad that it spoils an otherwise excellent season. And Paul rates this as three out of five. All right. Okay. 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 I, I, I don't know if I agree. I don't think I agree with this being the weakest story. I really love this one. But you know what? Fine. Uh, Paul, hey, uh, come at me, bro. I like it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, normally you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever that oh, phrase is you always <laughs> Degustibus. <laughs> Degustibus, yes. Degustibus non est disputando. Paul, I'm really sorry. The vodka's hit my brain, okay? Um... <laughs> just, just wants to fight now. <laughs> Uh, people of podcast land, do you agree with Paul? Do you disagree? Do you want to tell him how right he is or how wrong he is? I'm sure he won't mind. Find him on Twitter. <laughs> wow, wait, the podcast really hit me right. <laughs> Find him on Twitter. He can be found at P. Waring. That's right, it's P. Waring. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you very much, Paul. <laughs> Thank you. Next up, we've got... We've got Phil Salter. Ahoy there, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's Phil Salter, not Phil Sailor. <laughs> 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 what what flavor of of words do you have for us today, Phil? He starts. What's this? Of course, it's a story about the futility of war, using a mad marshal, leaving a losing side, a battle computer, and the shadow. Frankly, this story commits the cardinal sin of being boring. <gasps> lots of talking and lots of corridors. That's so true, actually. <gasps> Didn't pick up on that. Did not pick up on that. <laughs> but it is not boring. How dare you, Phil? Phil continues with a series of bullet points, the first of which is, The shadow has pretty good makeup on the hall. I, li <laughs> hey I like the idea that he's... <laughs> Sorry. God damn you. <laughs> the shadow has pretty good makeup on the whole. I like the idea that he's the anti-doctor in this story, setting out on the quest at the same time as the doctor, but I wish we'd had some suggestion through this season that someone was doing this. Make it more of a race. But it wasn't a race. He he sidestepped the race and just sat at the finish line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway. Oh well. Next next point the film makes is the main villain really should have been the Black Guardian. Agreed. The way he appears right at the end is poor. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Gotta give you that so. one. Yep. Um, it is an utterly disappointing end to the season, says Phil. All that work just to have the key split apart again. They do have another crack at the Guardian thing, and it works a bit better, but not that much better. Interesting. Okay, looking forward to it. It's a shame that this is Mary Tam's last story. Mm. I love her style, and I much prefer her to Romana, too. Oh, no, that doesn't bode well. Mm. Next bullet point, the way Merak, that's Timothy to you and me, was fawning <laughs> after the princess every few seconds was deeply irritating. And every time they cut back to the marshal saying fire, I die a little inside. Oh, no. It's got enough story for perhaps four parts. Luckily, this is the last six-parter ever made, if you don't include Sharda, which never actually broadcast. Oh, okay. I'm actually quite pleased to hear that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and Phil's final point is a boring story, boringly filmed, with no money, and a horrendous resolution to a season. And Phil gives this... Oh, wow. I don't know if I can get this out of... Out of my mouth. No, it's just, it's I say just it? stuck in... You're going to have to say it. Phil gives this 0.3. Phil! Holy moly. What? Are you sure that's not a typo? <laughs> 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 I may not agree with you, but I've, I will fight to the death for your right to, to have the wrong opinion about this, Phil. 0.3, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. Thank you very much. I think you're wrong about the no money bid. I, maybe maybe I'm wrong, actually. But to me, I got the impression that this was a high-budget serial. I felt like they really put some put some resources behind this one. Yeah, I felt so, too. It seemed, seemed to cross the board with, like, costume and sets and effects. Yeah, the yeah. miniature bits and stuff. But, yeah, you know what? Uh, fair, 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 fair. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for putting the lots and lots of corridors in my mind, because the next time that I inevitably watch this, I will not be able to stop thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for an excellent mini, Phil. Thank you, Phil. Uh, next up, we've got Jim the Fish. <laughs> Jim. Jim. <laughs> Hello, Jim. Hey there, Jim. 
Jim starts. The Armageddon factor ties up the key to time wasting <laughs> in a typical Muffet resolution, spending more time on cool scenes and funny in jokes and complicated timey wimey stuff than on making sense. And then throwing in all the big revelations and a rush at the end in hopes you won't realise that they don't so much answer all your questions as make you feel stupid for expecting an answer. God, I hope he's not right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting the sne- a sneaky suspicion that you and I have been wrong for like three and a half hours tonight. Never. Never. <laughs> Jim continues, Astra was bland. Yes, I agree. Drax was a fun, interesting character, adding a touch of lightheartedness to the story. A touch. <laughs> There's nothing a touch about Drax. <laughs> So the Shadow parked his spaceship between two planets and started their war so that when the Doctor showed up with the first five segments of the key, he'd get killed in the war so Shadow could just swoop in and pick up his five segments plus the sixth. This may be the dumbest plan any Doctor Who villain has ever had because it turns out that Shadow didn't actually know how to get the sixth segment. It's only because his plan failed miserably that the Doctor survived and Romana found Astra that he had any chance of succeeding. Bravo, Shadow. (laughs) Wow. Really flicked Shadow on the nose there. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Is that really his plan? Is that what he does? I don't remember it being described in quite that fashion, but I mean, he's there to lure the doctor in. and Yeah, I don't think I gave it that much thought, actually. I think you're right, Jim the Fish. Jim the Human, carry on. I will. Jim the Fish does continue with some great canine bits. Doctor, we all make mistakes, don't we, canine? Canine. Negative. (laughs) That's a good canine. (laughs) And canine clearing his throat before saying his rehearsed line was such a brilliant touch, you just know that it was Doug Adams who added it. Him being the script editor for some of this season and the next. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Now we get it. (laughs) Thank you. And also, yeah, you're probably right. And Jim concludes... Great sets. Weak story. Still had fun watching it, though. And what does Jim give this? 2.7 out of 5. Ooh, scraping <laughs> above average. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent mini. As always, Jim the Fish, thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. Next up, we've got Joe Ford. What up, Joe? Hello there, Joe. This is Joe from Doc Oho, is it not? <laughs> it is Doc Oho himself. <laughs> Take it away. Joe starts... A perfect representation of the Graham Williams era. Moments of comedy, darkness, and imagination interspersed with moments of pure pantomime. The first four episodes are as good as anything in the 16th season, but the story really stutters come episode 5, and thankfully recovers from a marvellous conclusion. It's a well-plotted story, at least initially, and the script keeps bringing fantastic ideas to the surface, and dramatically explores a very unusual war. Tom Baker is driving the show at this point, and he and Mary Tam are completely comfortable with each other by now, indulging in some very witty interplay. Despite some empty moments, I find the Armageddon Factor an extremely watchable story, full of inventive touches, thoughtful direction, and a general feeling of everybody, aside from a few dodgy performers, trying their damnedest to make this end-of-season oh-shit-the-budget-has-run-out spectacular as impressive as possible. He rates this as underrated 3.5. Good stuff there, Joe. Thank you very much. Very good stuff. And another mention of the budget running out. They did a great job with all that papier-mâché, I thought. Yeah, I did not notice lack of budget whatsoever. No. Joe, awesome stuff. Thank you very much. Please, people of Podcast Land, say hi to Joe online. He can be found at Doc Oho. That is Doc O. Oh. 
<laughs> and please check out Doc Oho Reviews. Right, next up, last up, we have Michael Ridgeway. 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 <laughs> Definitely not in sync. Keeping it, keeping it. <laughs> I want to point out that Michael sent in two minis for this, or not really. He sent in a mini for this, but beforehand didn't realize that he'd probably was, he might run out of time and sent in just a quick little spoiler one-liner of uh, a rating of MAC for Massive Anticlimax. So with that, okay. shall we go into his mini? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I'm fully prepared now. Okay. <laughs> okay, let, let's ping pong this. This is a set of bullet points. Episode one, just zap the Marshall K9 for a mobile weapons platform that mowed down an entire legion, well, five blocks, a few stories back. You're certainly selective about using your firepower. Black Guardian detector. Static noise. <laughs> and then from episode two, Canines watching our rear. <laughs> that, that, that dirty laughter came, came from Michael. It's in the script. It's in the script. <laughs> Michael's next point being from episode two, I love the Marshal. Another one of their ships destroyed. Um, no, sir. One of ours. <laughs> yeah. And Black Guardian Detector. More disappointing static noise. <laughs> and then episode three, we have... Uh-oh, I'm starting to get Underworld vibes. Oh, here we go, yes. This is what we talked about. And next bullet point, Black Guardian Detector. Beep, beep, fizzle. Damn it, false alarm, just the maniacal laughing shadow guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, we get to episode four. Shap, no! My God, why? Award for the best worst death in whoever. Wait, he dies in that. Oh, wait, no. Next bullet point. Sharp lives! <laughs> <laughs> Hurrah! Unfortunately, though, we'll be taking back the previous award. <laughs> <laughs> we just have one point for episode five. Black Guardian Detector. Rusty <laughs> clicking sound. I think this thing is broke. <laughs> episode six. Award for the stupidest Time Lord for Drax. Taking the award from previous incumbent Fishbowl Head Morbius. Why didn't you shrink the bad guy, you total burk? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. Next point being best moment, the Doctor's Gollum impression. And Black Guardian Detector, beep, 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 he's finally here, blink and you miss him, what a swizz. And the last point for episode six, you did what with the key? <laughs> Why didn't you just find the White Guardian? He still wants it, right? This whole series was utterly pointless. <laughs> just like Picard. Agree with that last bit, but you know what? Just go and watch the Red Letter Media review. It's way better. Uh, <laughs> seriously, I gave up after half of the season. Uh, in summary, says Michael, with the exception of Pirate Planet and the Robot Game of Thrones one, I want those hours back. And <laughs> <laughs> the rating Michael gives this is 1.3 out of 5 minutes of screen time for the overhyped Black Guardian. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Thank you very much, Michael. An excellent mini, as always. Please, Podcast Land, follow Michael on Twitter. He can be found at bad. No, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Mike, Michael's, <laughs> Michael's been mean to, to the episode of it. Light. Not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, it's in your contract. <laughs> oh, fine. Okay. Bad. Underscore. Movie. Underscore. <laughs> Club. <laughs>
Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Bing Bong, future Leon here, speaking to you paradoxically from the past. <laughs> Sorry. Turns out we received two more listener minis for this one, and it, as it happens, I hadn't packed up the, the mixer, audio interface, yada, 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 from last night's recording of our Death in Heaven review. So I'm making an exception, and I'm, I'm recording these ones. I'm, I'm, I'm futurely owning these ones. Heads up, going forward, have a look at the website where you'll see when we are recording our upcoming reviews, and please just aim to send in your minis before that date. Okay, first off, we have Chris Stamps Paddock. Hello, Chris Stamps. Chris Stamps says, for some reason, I love it. It's fairly boring. Oh, and many parts of this serial are the very definition of padding, especially the looped footage of the marshal, and yet I like this a lot. I like the sets for their cheapness, I like the wandering in tunnels for all its pointlessness, I like the fascism theme for their recycled tiredness. I love the unconvincing villain that is the shadow. I love it all, and I'm not going to apologize. Nor should you, Chris Tabs, nor should you. The wrap-up of the key to time sequence is often faulted, and it is a bit shit. <laughs> but given that prior stories barely even paid attention to it, I'm going to give this high marks for being written to address the season-long narrative. Yeah, that's a fair point. And of course, adds Chris Tabs, I love the introduction of Lala Ward, who would later go on to play the second Romana, and to marry not only Tom Baker, but what? But also Richard Dawkins, to whom she was introduced by Douglas Adams. <laughs> Chris Tapps, this trivia slash gossip is blowing my mind, I love it. She's underrated, he adds, but easily places in my top two Romanas ever. <laughs> I'm going to give this a 4.0, I love it, and keep rounding up my score. Nice. <laughs> Fantastic, Mini. Thank you very much, Chris Tapps. I think we have time for one more, <laughs> which is good, because the next one comes from Derek Moore. Hello, Derek. And appropriately, Derek starts, hello, who back when? The Armageddon Factor would have been good if it were four episodes long. Oh my, it stretched way too long and was filled way too much with probably the world's most annoying computer sounds. <laughs> The only thing missing from this symphony of ear piercers was the dial-up modem sound from the 80s and the AOL You've Got Mail on infinite repeat. I'm sad to see Romana the First leave, but at least she didn't leave to marry a stranger on a distant planet. Yeah, that's a super good point. Wasn't a living organism being the key to time the plot of the power of Kroll also? And good job, Men in Black 2, for stealing this ending. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Overall, says Derek, three out of five inches that need to be cut from Tom Baker's out-of-control hair <laughs> that sticks out so much we can't see his face. Thanks again for all your who-grooviness, he concludes, and thank you, Derek. <laughs> very good. Love it. Thank you very much. And thank you everyone who sent in a mini for this one. Okie dokie, let's get back to the show. Bing bong. I genuinely wonder, because this is now... How many times was this brought up? Like, we... we why not just bring it back to the White Guardian? I wonder if perhaps the idea was that the White Guardian we saw in the beginning was in fact the Black Guardian all along. That would explain why the Doctor doesn't bring it back to him and why he doesn't fear the consequences. It would, it just doesn't fit with the... I guess the only thing it doesn't fit with is that we looked up who plays the White Guardian at the start. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but he says that he can change his appearance. True. Yeah. And Doctor is convinced that it's the White Guardian. That's true. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think maybe consider it. Um, overall, like, I mean, I'm going to give the key to time a thumbs up here. Thumbs up? What do you say? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you, you heard our rating podcast, lads. Holy like, moly. My two thumbs are up here. Yeah, definitely. 
Oh, I've loved this. I've absolutely loved this. Uh, I think everyone in podcast land should go back and re-listen to all of our Key to Time episodes now. (laughs) I know I will. What have we got coming up next? Because now we're going into randomizer country. Well, first we have a new Who episode. Yes, I'm sure we will have a Namely, episode. Namely, Death in Heaven. But then we go into randomizer country. Sorry, I totally did that the wrong way around. Then we go into randomizer country with what, Jim? I believe we'll be having the destiny of the Daleks. That's right. Ooh. <laughs> mm. Which I'm looking forward to. Um, is, is it to uh, meet, meet a tall, handsome... <laughs> chap on a on a stormy night who will be wearing red lipstick (laughs) yeah maybe maybe that is exactly what it's about we're also going to have an audio who review at some point in the not too distant future it will be of an earthly child i always have to think about that one it is an earthly child and bonus eps well there's probably going to be some bonus bloops there's probably there probably are going to be some bonus bloops in fact for those of you who aren't fans of subject verb disagreement (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but in the meantime, you can say hello to us on Twitter. Jim, are you reachable via the ethersphere in some way? Via the Twittersphere, you can get me at Jimmy the Who. Ooh, excellent branding. <laughs> Boy, thank you. <laughs> but, but less of a grunt next time, please. <laughs> and where can you be reached, oh, oh leader, oh charm man? <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Okay, so I'm taking that soundbite. I'm turning it into my bespoke ringtone whenever you text me or call me. (laughs) People of podcast land, I am currently at the time of recording at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N, but I am seriously considering some rebranding, so I may not be. But you know what? You can find me. You know how the internet works. Uh, say hi. I'll say hi back. As always, you can look at the door of whobackwhen.com and you can find everyone through that anyway. Bajing, bajing. Exactly. Thank you very much. Until the next time, though, please, we're still under lockdown. So, you know what? Be careful. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Thank you so much for being a lovely audience. Rock on and cha-chao. Stay safe, everyone. See ya. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of Who Back When. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao. Who back when?